We've been in the middle of a message series called Fast Forward, Fast Forward, and this uh, series began the second week of February, and uh, after uh, Pastor Betty's message last week, I thought that it was over, but God kind of put some more things on my heart, and so we added a week to the series, and so we will be finishing this week with this series. And what we've been doing is we have been focusing on ways that we can accelerate our spiritual lives. This acceleration that we've been talking about is not about uh, moving quicker in life or rushing or making life more busy or more hectic. It's not been a focus on ramping up the speed of your life. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I don't want my life to be any more busy than it already is. Is there anybody in the room that say amen? amen? I don't want it to be any more busy. Uh, it's already too busy, which I think is uh, common to our cultural experience in America. And so uh, I don't really want it to be more busy, but what I do want it to be is I want it to be more effective and more fruitful for the kingdom. That's what I want. I don't want it to be more busy. I want it to be more effective and more fruitful. And so this spiritual acceleration that we've been talking about is uh, about becoming more effective and more fruitful with the time that we have in our life. Time is so precious. It is something that we never get back. And so I want to make sure that I am making uh, most, the most of my time. Thank you, Phil. I want to make the most of my time by being effective and fruitful with the time that we have. How many of you understand that the simplest answer to that is the quicker we become more like Jesus, the more effective and fruitful we will be. That's the goal. When we become more like Jesus in our thoughts, in our attitudes, and in our behavior, that is when our effectiveness and our fruitfulness as Christians, as believers, is maximized. So the series has been focusing on ways that we can work spiritually smarter and not harder. It's about gaining a spiritual momentum or upward and forward surge in our spiritual lives. And so over the last three weeks, we've been focusing primarily on uh, prayer and fasting. Uh, Pastor Betty talked about prayer last week, and I, I focused the first two weeks on uh, the idea of fasting. And, and what we've been talking about in this series is kind of a play on words, this fast forward, is this, uh, is, is when we fast, before we ever move forward, and when we pray before we ever move forward, we can be supplied with a power from God to overcome obstacles, challenges, and difficulties that we can uh, come into as we move forward into what God is calling us to do. How many of you know that when you move forward, the enemy is going to confront that with opposition? So when we plant spiritual seeds in our future by praying forward and fasting forward, not in reaction to what the enemy would want, not in reaction to a problem, but sowing into our future, we're going to lay a groundwork and God is going to uh, empower us with things that are going to be able to overcome the obstacles and the things that the enemy wants to confront us with. It's one of the ways in which we fulfill what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, uh, 6.33. He said, seek first. Yeah. Say seek first. Yeah. Seek first the kingdom and all of everything else will be added to you. Praying before we move forward and fasting before we move forward, whether that be on a daily basis, 
seeking first the kingdom in the morning, or before you have a major life decision that you are confronted with, or before you go on a mission trip, or before you go to a ministry event, whatever it may be, your spiritual life is going to benefit by you investing in it by praying and fasting forward. And so this is what we've been talking about. And, um, <clears throat> and so when we pray and fast forward, like I said, we're not reacting to a problem of the enemy. We are responding to the invitation because prayer and fasting is an invitation from the Father to be provided with a power to overcome what the enemy would want to do in our future. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to finish this fast forward series by talking to you from the topic that will probably seem like a contradiction to you, but I want to talk to you from the topic acceleration through deceleration. Acceleration through deceleration. If acceleration is increasing the speed of something, deceleration is decreasing the speed of something. How many of you know that rushing through your prayer time and your fasting will actually be counterproductive? When we've been, we've been talking about fasting and prayer, and what we have to understand is it demands that you slow down. It demands that you decelerate your life to fast and to pray. I don't know about you, but when I have, uh, I have felt at times in my spiritual life because of the hecticness of my life, I have interceded or prayed, and it has felt like I'm throwing God a bone because it's rushed, it's, 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 it's filled with the anxiety and, and the overwhelming things of life, and you do it, and I don't know about you, but I walk away and I'm like, I don't even feel like they did anything. Because, because there was, it, it, it can't be quality if you don't slow down and you have time for it. Prayer and fasting is all about quality, not quantity. It's about really having time in your life that you dedicate to these spiritual disciplines. Um, let me give you an example of why deceleration is important. Uh, anybody know anything about cars? Go ahead and put that picture up on the screen. Anything know, anybody know about anything about cars? Okay. Uh, what we have right here is a RPM gauge or a tachometer is the technical term. I didn't know what tachometer meant. Um, I just looked it up, and so I wanted to be smarter than I, I really am. But um, So you see that gauge, and you see that it's in an area that is color-coded differently than where, everywhere else. Do you know what that is? It's a, who said, who said, yeah, danger, danger zone. Anybody think of Top Gun when he said that? <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, what an RPM gauge does is it actually measures the revolutions of a part, a critical part of your engine called the crankshaft. Your crankshaft is working at a certain speed. And what that does is it's producing the acceleration of the vehicle. But there's a reason why this area is red. As they said, it's the danger zone. And what do you think would happen if you indefinitely put your car in that red zone? What's going to happen? It's going to blow up. You're not going to move any, any further forward if you're indefinitely putting your pedal to the metal 
and keeping it in this red zone. So it is with your life. So it is with your life. See, the same principle applies to your life. If you are redlining your life, see, that's what, that's what it means to keep it there, redlining. If you are redlining your life, then it's only a matter of time before you experience breakdown or burnout. And I think all of us really know that. That I think right now people are like, I've been redlining my life. See, this is what happens to your life when you are filling your life. See, having consistent slowdowns or points of deceleration in your daily and weekly schedule will ensure that you won't burn out. It seems contradictory, but it's actually a principle of the kingdom. So let's talk about slowing down to move forward. Slowing down to move forward. Acceleration through deceleration. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for what you've already done. God, I pray that you would just speak to us individually. God, I pray that you, the Holy Spirit, would God uh, just reveal areas of our lives, God, that we need to slow down. Father, to accelerate our spiritual lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Slowing down to move forward. Uh, at the beginning of this year, I've come to real, I realize something about myself that I wasn't really necessarily uh, realizing. And it took my wife to point it out. Any uh, men in the room say, uh, can I get an amen to that? That sometimes your wife needs to point things out that you are either ignoring or you just do not see. Because men have blind spots. And so I had a blind spot in my life that my wife pointed out. And I didn't really even notice it until she did that. But it honestly took hearing it from her uh, to notice what I had been doing. One day she said to me, she said, Caleb... You are just doing too much. You're just doing too much. And it's going to wear you out. That was her words. It's going to wear you out. And so over the course of a couple of weeks, maybe months, um, she had begun to notice that I wasn't slowing down and that I was restless when I should be resting. Um, that in my free time, I was quickly filling it up with house projects and all sorts of other things that were taking my focus and my energy. And when I'd be hanging out with, the, uh, with her and the kids, uh, I was physically present, but I wasn't mentally present. Many of the things that were extra things that I was doing around uh, the house or for other people or even for the church, they were good things, um, but they weren't necessarily God things. Uh, regardless of what they were, they were beginning to wear on me and uh, she started to notice it before I did. Um, but I'm glad that she did because since then I've been trying to create more space in my life and slow down, which has honestly felt impossible at times. But I'm trying to learn what I would like to call a healthy rhythm to life. A healthy rhythm. Uh, one of the parts to that healthy rhythm is to embrace free time by just hanging with the family, and literally doing nothing. When was the last time that when someone said, what did you do today, the answer was nothing? This is what is a critical component of a healthy rhythm for your life. That you have space in your life where you are literally doing nothing. 
And often the reason why we are not doing anything is because we're running from something. We're running because it keeps us in a state of preoccupation so that the roots never get dealt with. And so we can keep our busy, ourselves busy um, on purpose. And so, uh, you know, uh, so part of this embracing the free time is that um, I've just been literally just trying to hang with the family and just do nothing. And uh, two Fridays ago was a perfect example of that. Allison takes Gideon to his uh, classical conversations home group, home school co-op on Fridays, and so I'm just at home with Zeke and Ella, and typically what ends up happening is I'll play with the kids, and then I'll start to, like, do things around the house. I, I, I actually, I'm a guy that likes to clean from time to time. I'm not saying I'm the greatest cleaner, but I, I like that, and, uh, and so I will let it, that Friday lends itself to that cleaning. So uh, on a particular, on this particular Friday, though, I was like, I'm not doing anything. I'm trying to practice rest, so I am going to intentionally neglect the house. And so on this morning, what it lent itself to was flipping over chairs and putting blankets over them and building forts and caves where we just hung out and played. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Flipping chairs over, and I don't know about you, but I'm like, as a dad, I'm like, I'm going to see if I can fit in there. All, all the time. Like, I will, I'll just be like, I wonder if I can fit in there. And it, end up, it ends up collapsing on me. I have to rebuild it again. But so, so we're playing. We're just hanging out, building these forts. And then have you ever, like, built it over a, a, a heating vent? And you're like, it's way too hot in here. Felt like the sanctuary this morning. So, so we're, we're, you know, we're, uh, we're playing and stuff. And so Allison's getting ready to go home. So I send her a text. And I'm like, hey, you know how I usually clean the house while you're gone on Fridays? And she's like, yep. And I was like, I just want to let you know, today was not one of those days. The lunch was left out. The toys were everywhere. I just let it go because I needed to not do anything. And so what, what I came to realize was that I was, uh, before my wife pointed it out, is I had given myself over to the rat race. I had become a victim of what is so common in American culture. I had become a victim of busy. I had become a victim of hurry. A victim of the tyranny of the urgent and the immediate. At least what I thought was urgent and immediate. Um, but in the process of it all, I was slowly getting burned out. And my soul and my spirit was getting tired. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So I, I actually just started reading a book uh, by a pastor named John Mark Comer, and the title of the book is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he says something in this book that is amazing, and I really connected to. He said, anybody ever felt a bone-deep tiredness, not just in your mind or body, but in your soul? If so, you're not alone. That's what I was starting to feel. So I've been attempting often unsuccessfully to do less, to do less. How many of you know that there's a phrase that says less is more? Yeah, yeah that can be true. To do less and to try to create some space in my life. And see, one of the problems was 
that I was filling up the margins in my life with more things. And what I mean by margin is this. Everyone has a margin. I think that's, it's really important to understand what margin is. Everybody has margin. Margin is the space between your load and your limits. It's the space between your load and your limits. And one of the problems in, in, in American culture is we lie about our limit. We overload ourselves and we live in denial, Ohio, about our limitations. And that's not me, not gonna happen here. We overload ourselves because we're lying about our limitations. And so that was what was happening in me. I have a load and I have limits. Part of humility before God is understanding your limitations. Because the truth is, is nothing is impossible with God, but a lot is impossible with you. And until you have clarity where you humble yourself before the Lord and realize that you have limitations and those limitations are actually a good place for God to intervene in your life, until you come to that conclusion, what you will do is lie about your limitations and you'll overload yourself and then you won't have any margin in your life. Margin is the space between your load and your limitations. The, the margin is the space between your load or responsibility and your limitations. And this was the space that I was filling up my life with more work, more projects, and more responsibilities. And naturally, as a result, I was ever inching closer to my limitations. It's the reason why I have this hoodie on. If you can't see it, for all the people in the glasses, with the glasses like me, it says, do less, God bless. Do less, God bless. I know this is not necessarily pulpit attire, but um, I wanted to wear it today to illustrate this point, but also because I like went to town yesterday and whole, ate a whole lot. And when you, when you wear hoodies and sweatpants, you get to lie to yourself for a little bit. Like it still fits, I'm good. And so, listen, so this do less God bless is, is actually uh, from a famous uh, Christian comedian on Instagram, his name is Trey Kennedy, but it means more to me than what he just intended behind it. To me, doing less speaks to the truth that we all need to have consistent daily, weekly moments in our lives where we can just slow our lives down to get rest, recover, reconnect, and get refreshed. How many of you know that? So we live in a now culture. We want everything now. We don't want to wait. We don't want to have to be patient. We don't have time to wait. We've got somewhere to go, somewhere to be, stuff to do, people to meet with. And uh, we don't want to have to waste time because we are overwhelmed. We are over our limits. And uh, I know this to be true because a lot of times when I, people, when I ask people, when I ask people, uh, by the way, I just want to encourage you that like, uh, this is not a good sermon to bump the person next to you. Like, are you listening? I think I might have saw that with Amy. But anyways, just, just briefly, sorry. <laughs> Listen, I can't tell you how many times I ask people, how are you doing? And they say, I'm good, just busy. It's common. It's as if we wear busyness like a merit badge, as if it's an honorable virtue. 
I love what my wife said about this. She said, we can feel guilty if we aren't exhausted, as if we aren't exhausted, it's because we aren't doing enough. Like, we can feel that way. I don't know about you, but like, we can feel that way. We boast about our busyness. We actually use it to belittle people. When we hear other people talking about what's going on in their life, we can think or even respond like, you think that's busy? Listen to this. We could actually boast about our busyness. I did that to David Mattingly, so uh, he's not here, but I apologize, David, if you happen to listen. But much of our busyness isn't just work. It's entertainment and the byproduct of the inundation of information that we receive because we live in the digital age. Even when we're sleeping, we are seconds away from being fully awoke. A uh, perfect example, uh, I was telling the worship team that my, my uh, REM cycle ends at approximately 3.30 in the morning. And so from 3.30 to 5.30 is a toss and turn to get back to sleep. Sometimes I get up and say, it's not gonna happen this morning. Other times I'm like, I'm contending for my rest. <laughs> so I toss and turn until I finally fall asleep. But uh, on a particular uh, morning this week, I usually roll over to look at my clock or my phone, see what time it was. It was 3.30 in the morning. I wake up or I open up my phone and I see that I have a Facebook uh, message from my dad. I pretty much wake up every single morning to some sort of video from my father. And uh, so I looked and I saw that he had sent it three minutes earlier. So he was up. So I texted him at 3.30 in the morning. I said, go to bed, you old man. <laughs> Did I not do that? We are seconds away from our rest being interrupted. A recent study found, found that the, I, the average iPhone user, I got, got an iPhone, touches their phone 2,617 times a day. 2,617 times a day with an average user being on their phone at least three hours. Sean Parker, the first president of Facebook, calls himself a conscientious objector to social media because of how busy it makes us. Listen to what he said. He said, Facebook was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. That was the discussion when they created it. All of these avenues in our American culture are fighting to have a monopoly on what I like to call our attention capacity. And we are becoming more and more busy as we go. I was preparing for this message and I just wrote these thoughts down. We've made busyness an idol and it's killing us. We don't talk about how we're doing, we talk about what we're doing. We submit our souls at the feet of this idol and demand ourselves to work without rest. It's a sick cycle. We don't know how to slow down. We don't know how to unwind or decompress or recharge and refresh. We constantly give ourselves over to hurry and urgency over and over and over again. And all too often, it comes at the expense of the exhaustion of our souls and our spirits. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We all just need consistent daily, weekly moments in our lives where we can just slow our lives down because you and I have to realize that we cannot move forward in our spiritual lives if we are 
perpetually running on E or redlining our life. When life gets busy, this is the truth. Truth. Often the first thing to go, the first thing to be put on the proverbial shelf is our spiritual life. What ends up happening, because we don't have any margin in our lives, you know when Hebrews says, forsake not the fellowship, one of the reasons why that's a problem is because when we don't have any daily in our margin in our lives to get rest, it culminates with us forcing ourselves to get rest, and that usually ends up being the day that we're supposed to fellowship with one another. Yeah. And so what we have to realize is that one way or the an another, you are going to shut down. You need rest. So we have to slow down so that we can move forward spiritually in our lives. This is the reason why Jesus beckons the busy and the hurry with, hurried with this invitation from Matthew chapter 11. And it is so real in our culture today. He said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. You know what? Those two adjectives can describe the modern American. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. What you have to understand about the word yoke is it was a Jewish idiom for teaching. When he says, take my yoke upon you, he's talking about take my teaching upon you. Do you remember in the Gospels when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and he said, you put on their shoulders loads they cannot even carry. He was talking about the yoke of their teaching. He was saying, your teaching is not even something they can sustain. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, learn because it's teaching. Jesus has a teaching in scripture and when you follow it, you will find rest. That is good news for the over busy, over hurried American. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle and at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is not caught off guard by the culture that we live in. So what does that look like? What does acceleration through deceleration look like? Here's point number one. We have to create margin or space in our daily life and in our weekly life for the purpose of slowing down. We have to create the space. The reason why for decades pastors have been saying, you don't find time to read your Bible and pray you make time. The reason why they've been saying that is because you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice to prioritize your spiritual life. You have to say no to some stuff. If we've got three hours on average that we are on the, our phones, we've got plenty of time right. to spend with the Lord. Right. We do. It's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a problem that we don't have enough hours in the day. It's what we're doing within the hours. Right. And so what we need to do is we need to ask ourselves this type of question. What do we need to say no to to create space in our lives, to slow down, so that we can prevent spiritual breakdown or burnout. See, what we need to understand is that when we create this space, it's not to fill it with something else. 
We're not creating space to fill it with something. It's simply to rest in it. And I will tell you, if you actually put this into practice, you will struggle for a little bit. Because it is a detox. Because the moment you have free time, you have become so habitually busy and hurried, you will have a laundry list of things that will come to the surface that you should be getting done in this time, time window. It's no different than when you sit down to read your Bible, the devil's like, you need to do laundry. You need to call this person. Don't forget this. And they're all distractions. T.S. Eliot, a, a poet, said that, that people are distracted by distractions to distraction. This is the perpetual life that we often live. Dallas Willard, a, Christian, a famous Christian philosopher, said this. He said, hurry is the greatest enemy of our spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. See, when we hurry and fill our lives with thing after thing after thing after thing, our spiritual lives get our leftovers. You know what Corey Ten Boom said? Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. They accomplish the same thing in your life. Famous psychologist Carl Jung said this of hurry and busyness. He said, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. If we are going to accelerate our spiritual lives and become more like Jesus, then one of the things that we're going to have to do is we're going to have to change our lifestyles so that we can have margin in it for our spirit and our souls to find rest in Jesus. Can I tell you one of the things I believe that the enemy capitalizes on for Christians who know the Gospels? Is we'll read the Gospels and because it's chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we think that it is just a consistent, continual uh, thing, period of events that, that was t one after another, after another, after another. The Gospels were over a three-year span of time. Do you know the book of Acts was 20 years of history? But what, can, what the enemy can do is he can capitalize on you thinking that that's what your life is supposed to look like. These were the highlight reel. Jesus had downtime where he was dunking the disciples in the Sea of Galilee. He was hanging out. They were having, Jesus adhered to the Sabbath where he did nothing. But we can read the Gospels and get this impression that we got to keep on going. Let's go, let's go. Time is up. It is but you will lend yourself to burnout and breakdown if you don't even follow what Jesus followed in observing the Sabbath. So this means that we have to have times where we shut the TV off, leave the phone in our cars, turn the volume down, say no to the extra activity and events and meetings. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. beneficial. What do we need to say to create space in our lives? to slow down. I was ready, uh, meditating on Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and uh, I was realizing that um, I've never seen an oxen run with a yoke on. I don't even know if that would happen. If you've ever played the like potato sack race where you got one leg in and another, you got to go at the pace of the other person. And it's a struggle. I've never seen an oxen run with a yoke on. And what that means is, when Jesus says, take my yoke, my teaching, 
but literally, join your life to mine. Come connected to me. I've got a pace. And the truth is, is a lot of times, we are outrunning Jesus' pace. We are. We're, we're hand, listen, we, the moment that American urgency and busyness invade your relationship with Jesus, what happens is Jesus will stop at a Sabbath and you'll keep on going. And then you're frustrated because you're like, God, where are you? What? And he's like, I'm back here following what God instructed us to do. Slow your life down to join your life to mine. This is what we're talking about this morning. We have to create that margin. Now, this is the other part. Point number two, we have to understand that busyness is not a default habit of our culture it's an agenda of the enemy by design. Okay? It is actually an agenda, and I'm going to prove it to you. The enemy wants to use your busyness to destroy you. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. So powerful. Daniel has had a vision or a dream. And within the dream, he's, he's actually writing or recording the dream. And in the dream, he say, sees the end times. He sees the end of days. And there are things that he's seeing with his eyes in this vision, in this dream that he does not understand. And there happens to be another being, which I would assume is an angel, in the dream. And so that being or that man or whoever it is in the dream actually comes to Daniel and begins to explain what the vision means. And listen to what the Bible says is going to be the agenda of the enemy in the end times. 7.25, he, the enemy, will speak out against the Most High, and he will what? Wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. Are you worn out? It's because it is the design of the enemy to rob you of your effectiveness and your fruit and the advancement of the kingdom. He will speak against the Most High and he will wear down the saints. If you're war, listen, can I tell you that yes, there are unhealthy church cultures where you have to go, 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 serve, 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 serve. But there's a flip side to that, to the fact that what he does is he will get people to leave a church because of their, their niches of service, because it's another thing topped on the hurry and the busyness that they don't have time to, and he will actually wear you out in your purpose. He'll get you busy with all this other stuff, so when the thing that God has called you to do, you won't want to do. Because you're already too tired. He will wear out the saints. See, Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. It's so simple, yet so dangerous. If he can make you busy, uh, if he can make you busy with your job, with your responsibilities, with financial pressure, with all of those things piled on top of you, then you'll be too worn out and won't want to go to church, won't want to read your Bible, won't want to pray, won't want to fast forward, won't want to pray forward, won't 
want to do any of that. John Mark Comer, in this, uh, this book I'm reading, he says this. Read the Bible. Satan doesn't show up as a demon with a pitchfork. He's far more intelligent than we give him credit for. Today, you're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you're reading your Bible, or a multi-day Netflix binge, or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram or Facebook, or a Saturday morning at the office, or another game on a Sunday, or commitment after commitment after commitment, and a life of speed. Remember Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. If he can make you busy like Martha, then you won't have the experience of Mary. And remember what Jesus said to Martha when she was complaining about everything in verse 41. He said, Martha, my beloved Martha. How many people is he saying that over? Listen, this word is not about condemnation. This, is, this word is about God tugging on your heart and saying to you, Martha, my beloved Martha, you are so caught up. What does he say? He says, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away, wearing the saints out, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing, and notice Jesus gets a little defensive. You need to check your heart, Martha. Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I'm not going to take that privilege from her. So check your heart. This is what he was saying to Martha. See, Jesus addressed the danger of busyness in another scripture. Mark 8, 36. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world at the exchange of your soul. That sounds like busyness and hurry to me. See, one of the questions I was thinking about this morning was, how often do you feel rushed? How often do you feel like you're living in a perpetual cycle of stress and anxiousness and hecticness and chaos? Is it because you have no margin in your life, no breathing room, no downtime to rest, coming to Jesus to find rest for your soul. Number three, we slow down for the purpose of resting to move forward. Resting to move forward. What do I mean? Do you know, I found this to be fascinating, do you know that God actually tend, intended that we work from rest, not work to gain rest? Do you know that in Jewish culture, a new day began at sunset, not sunrise? Did anybody know that? I didn't know that. A new day began at sunset, not sunrise. Genesis chapter 1, listen to the, the order of the language. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Evening first, morning second. Rest first, work second. Evening and the morning in the first day. An example of this, I didn't even put these two and two together, but it's the Sabbath, Mark chapter 1. It's the Sabbath day. There's no work allowed on the Sabbath. 
There's all of these people, demon-possessed, afflicted by sickness, disease, that are wanting to go to Jesus, and they have to wait till when? Sunset to go to him. Why? Because it was the next day at sunset. Mark 1, 32 through 34, later in the day, just after Sabbath ended at sunset, the people kept bringing Jesus uh, to Jesus all who were sick and tormented by demons, and he cured them all. People had to wait till sunset to bring people to Jesus to be healed because the next day begins at sunset. So what this tells me is there is a divine order and rhythm to our life that God places priority on you and I getting rest first and then working from it. And one of the plans of the enemy is to rob you of the rest that God wants to give you by making it something you have to gain through your work. Let me go back because I think this is really important. Daniel 7, remember, it said that he will speak against the Most High and then he will wear out the saints. And one of the ways, there's a connection between the rest of the verse. If you want to put that back up, Jared, Daniel chapter 7. Uh, look at this, uh, look at the end of this. It's, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't even leave it in there. It says, he, he will speak out against the Most High and he will wear down the saints of the highest one. And it goes on to say, he will intend to change festivals and laws. How many of you know that Sabbath was a weekly festival? You remember what happened in the 90s in our American culture? The blue laws went away. What were the blue laws? The blue laws were American culture was at rest on Sunday. No, I remember as a kid, nobody was open. You couldn't even get gas at some places. Couldn't go to a fast food, couldn't go get rest. Nothing was open. And so as a result, what, did it, what happened? People went to church because there ain't nothing else to do. Some people went to church because they love to go to church. Other people were like, what do you want to do this morning? There ain't nothing to do. I can't go see a movie. Ain't nothing on TV. I guess I'll go sit in a seat. But you know, choices are not powerful when there's no other options. Your decision today to be here is more powerful than back then when there was nothing else to do. Choices are only powerful when you have other options that you can choose. The fact that you are here is... The fact that you've made a powerful decision. You love the Lord. You want to grow. You want to draw near to him. But in, during the blue laws, there was a contingency of people that just went to church because there wasn't else, nothing else to do. And guess what happened? 7-Eleven came in. 7-Eleven was the first business to institute seven days a week they were open. And when 7-Eleven went into towns, the chips started to fall. And people started to follow the leadership of 7-Eleven. And as a result, there was, a there was this shift in our culture to where our culture that used to take Sabbath, no longer Sabbath has happened. And the enemy intended to change festivals and change laws. And now we have a culture where the day does not begin with rest. You're working throughout the time when you should be resting. You're up at 3 o'clock in the morning. We got graveyard shifts. I love Cody, but it's just true, right? We have these things where the, where the enemy, because of his agenda to wear you out, has maximized everything he can do to wear out the saints. We don't rest because our work is over. We're supposed to work from a place of resting forward. 
And God has a word for that rest, and that rest is called Sabbath. Now listen to this. this is, the Holy Spirit hit me. I, like, I was like putting this together, and I was in my, uh, my front room, and I about, to, I about ran, ran around and started to dance because I was convicted. Do you know in the Ten Commandments, number four is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You know what's so interesting? That's like the one that people think is optional. You have all of the other ones that people are like, yeah, I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't steal. I shouldn't murder. You know what I mean? You got all of these other ones, but the Sabbath one is the one that we think is culturally irrelevant. But this is what the Lord showed me. Remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy seems to be often to be the only commandment that people think isn't relevant in American culture today. And yet ignoring it is often one of the real reasons why the other ones are violated. We ignore the Sabbath. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so the other ones get violated. And we think there's no connection. You can't run on E. You cannot redline your life. There's a reason why Jesus and, and the Father put margin in your life and said, today you're not supposed to do anything because it's actually going to accelerate your spiritual life. Hebrews chapter 4. God rested, or God rested on the seventh day. Jesus, uh, Sabbath is a New Testament principle. Jesus called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Listen to this with reverence for the Lord. There is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. Now listen to the reverence, because the Lord just wants to let you know what's going to happen. So let us do the best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God on this, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. How much of the compromises in our spirituality are the byproduct of the fact that we never took the Sabbath? So what that tells me is that if you neglect the rest of God or decelerate your life, it will only be a matter of time before you experience breakdown or burnout. Sabbath matters. We could have uh, the worship team come forward very quickly. Three, three benef benefits of Sabbath in our lives. Remember, this is a daily thing and a weekly thing. There should be margin in your life for you to do nothing on a daily basis. And on a weekly basis, there should be an observation of a day where you don't do anything. Where you hang out in your sweatpants and your hoodie at the house. Three benefits of Sabbath. Number one, Sabbath reminds us that God is the point of our lives. He, it reminds us that he's the point. God instituted Sabbath because he wanted a day for you and I to rest with him. To be still and know that he is God. The Sabbath is a day to recognize that God did not create us to accomplish tasks, but to be in love with him. That is our purpose. We weren't created for a job. We weren't created for our ability to produce 
We were created first and foremost for God to walk in the garden in the cool of the day. Reminds us God is the point of our lives. Number two, I love this one. Sabbath reminds us that God is the provider of our lives. Sabbath actually sets followers of Jesus apart from the rest of the fabric of humanity. Listen to this. During the time when God instituted Sabbath for the Israelite people, no other society in ancient times took a day off. Because survival was often a day-to-day, season-to-season affair, but God commanded His people to take a Sabbath because He wanted to remind them that He bore the true responsibility of providing for them. You are set apart because you, you actually make the choice not to do anything on a particular day and enter into the rat race with everybody else. What happens a lot of times is the reason why we don't take a Sabbath is because we don't trust God that if we would actually take a break, He would do in our Sabbath what we can't do in our work. That's why we freak out. So I'm going to keep on working. I have too much stuff to do. I got too much work. I got to get ahead of my schedule. And He's like, yeah, you can live your life that way. But I want you to slow down your life, decelerate yourself, and I want you to trust that I am the God in your Sabbath as much as every other day of the week. And what I will do is I will actually do stuff on your behalf that you cannot do by working yourself to a frenzy. That's why he provided manna in the wilderness. Don't even worry about it. I got y'all. You don't have to go out and hunt. I'm going to have it fall in your lap. This is God, but we don't get that if we don't take rest. There has to be times where we just, can I tell you, this is another surrender in our life. Surrendering to the Sabbath is very real. Because there's a reality to the fact that we'll say yes to more activity for the Lord. But what if he says, you know what, I just want you to sit and do nothing. It, that actually will require a surrender because a lot of us, if God were actually speak to our heart, we'd be like, what about this? What about that? I got I to gotta do it. And he's like, no, you don't. That's the point. I'm God. You're not. Chill. Reminds us that God is the provider of our lives. Third is this, or listen to actually this point. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14, when we talk about our desire to prosper, listen to what happens. This is what God's promise is to the Israelite people. If you stop pursuing your own desires on my holy day and refrain from disregarding the Sabbath, if you call the Sabbath a delightful pleasure and Yahweh's holy day honorable, if you honor it properly by not chasing your own desires, serving your own interests, and speaking empty words, then you will find joyous bliss that comes from serving Yahweh. And I will cause you to prosper and be carried triumphantly over the high places of the land. And you will enjoy the heritage of Jacob, your ancestor. Certainly, the mouth of God has spoken it. Let it be done. 
If you actually practice Sabbath, I'll prosper you. Because then you will know your prosperity did not come by the work of your own hands. If we don't have any margin in our lives, we never rest forward. We will work to exhaustion and then get up the next day and do it all over again. When we fail to decelerate, we miss out on the Sabbath and what it does to accelerate our spiritual lives. In the words of King David in Psalm 23, the Lord is my best friend and shepherd. I always have more than enough. How does he have more? How does David have more than enough? He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me into an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. Accelerate your spiritual life by decelerating your lifestyle to create margin to take Sabbath. It's about slowing down so that you can move forward. Will you stand with me? Just want to take you a, take a moment before we sing this morning. If you don't have margin, where do you need to create it? Where do you need to create margin in your life? And can I tell you that a lot of times it's just really in the space of entertainment. And Sabbath, Sabbath is, can I just say this? Sabbath is a cease from work, not from relationship. It's the actual purpose of Sabbath is to cease work because it gets in the way of this relationship and these. When the congregation of Israel came together, they weren't on the Sabbath. It wasn't like, leave me alone. It's me and God. It was the bridegroom and the bride celebrating relationship together. And so in your Sabbath, what it means is that you cease from work, you cease from entertainment, you cease from these things for the purpose of connecting with him and with one another. When I don't have Sabbath in my life, this is just being totally transparent. When I don't have Sabbath in my life, my natural default is to look at social, social media until my kids, kids go to sleep. And then what happens is I don't even experience them. I don't even enjoy my wife. I'm just waiting for a downtime when everything's done so I can go to, go to sleep. That's me being real. So Sabbath requires me to shut this off and to answer you angrily if you try to call me on Friday. <laughs> Just being real. You have to protect your Sabbath. Sabbath, I was thinking about the set list and we, th we sang 10,000 reasons. And listen, this came to mind when I was thinking about this message. One of the lines says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. When you actually take Sabbath, you bless the Lord from your soul, but your soul, as a result, gets blessed by him. And so as we close, I just want you to think, where's, where do I need to take margin? Where do I need to have space in my life to enjoy him and one another? And as we worship this, 
I pray that that first line, bless the Lord, O my soul, would become your inheritance as you protect this sacred space in your life to rest in him. Amen? Let's worship.